Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, folks, this is Steve, the real progressive slash rogue scholar slash jack of all trades slash fill in dude here. And I'm going to talk to you guys about something I feel is, well, shit, I think it's pretty important. And that's this idea of contradictions. And, you know, kind of we keep patting ourselves on the back. You know what I'm saying? We keep patting ourselves on the back. But honest to God, I don't see a whole lot of people willing to go that extra mile and place these things out there, first and foremost, to make a dent. So that leaves us with this really, really tough conundrum. On one hand, we'd all like our kids to inherit an earth that sustains life. We'd like that. I think. I'm guessing we want that. But if you're making me guess based on people's actions, I'd say nobody gives a flying fuck. If if you're asking me to judge you by the shoes you wear, by the steps you take, by the walk you live, I would say we don't have anybody that gives a flying fuck whether we live. I would say it's empty rhetoric. I would say that the entire climate movement is largely filled with people that, quite frankly, you know, I'm not sure whether or not they've got the same sensibilities here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure they've got the same sensibilities. I'm thinking that a lot of them are thinking that maybe there's other things more important than trying to organize and work together and make something happen. I'm thinking that. I don't know why I keep jumping back to this picture here, other than the fact that, wowie, oh, wowie, is that a smack of, just a smack of truth, isn't it? Honest to God, it's a smack of truth. On one hand, we're complaining, and rightfully so. We're complaining that gas prices are so high. But on the other hand, we all over here saying that we want a Green New Deal, but I don't see anyone willing to prioritize activism, prioritize organizing, prioritize doing the dirty work, and a Green New Deal. And it is not going to happen on its own. Folks, it's simply not going to happen on its own. And I want to show you something, just so we're all on the same page. I'm going to show you something, and it's going to gross you out a little bit. It's going to gross you out. I'm not going to lie. It's going to gross you out. It's going to gross you out simply because it's gross. But if you look over here at Mayo Pete, okay, 
Hungry babies regrettably. Look at this. No joke. Hungry babies regrettably are just the price of the free market. Free market, right? Says that in a capitalist economy, the government doesn't and shouldn't make baby formula. But around the world, even in the United States, the public sector has stepped in to correct market failures. See, unfortunately, here's the thing. Unfortunately, when we try to focus on, well, I recycle, I do this, I do that, I do the other. This is neoliberalism in your ear, not making you realize that there is a much bigger, serious problem at stake. Our military, huge environmental hazard. The baby formula, none of us can make that out of thin air, so it's not individual actions that we can do other than organizing and attacking Pete Buttigieg instead of getting ready for the next election to say that guys like Pete Buttigieg, of course, what do you want, Trump? What do you want, a Republican? You know what I'm saying? But this is it, and I'm going to read to you this article because it's really quite good. It's really quite good, okay? And what it says here is this. Someone save us from the free market ideal ideologues before it's too late. Sitting down on CBS's Face the Nation this week, Transportation Secretary and billionaire darling Pete Buttigieg addressed the infant formula shortage that sent parents around the United States scrambling to find some ways to feed their babies. Asked about the sluggish federal response to crisis regulators were informed about as far back as October, Buttigieg absolved Biden administration through a little bit of neoliberal sleight of hand. Let's be very clear, he said. This is a capitalist country. The government does not make baby formula, nor should it. Companies make formula. So I want you to understand, this is your government. You elected these fuck faces. You did. You were the one that demanded a blue wave come through. Not me. You. You all pushed this shit on us. You. And yet you want to complain that we have capitalists doing capitalist things. You want to whine about a neoliberal being a neoliberal, not realizing that neoliberals are fascist, proto-fascists of their own variety. The only difference is they have different bedside manners, but it still comes out exactly the same fucking way. Exactly the same way. So it was the company that screwed up Buttigieg insisted, and now it was the government's job to help get the contaminated plant that helped lead to the shortage back up and running quickly and safely. At heart, this is just a lazy bit of political ass covering. In reality, the Biden administration has a great deal of responsibility for what happened. Federal regulators took months to respond to the October, October whistleblower complaint about food safety issues at Abbott Laboratories plant in question only for two babies to die and another to be hospitalized a couple months later. Nor did regulators act on Minnesota health officials' September warnings about a baby hospitalized after taking formula from the same plant. In fact, the Food and Drug Administration did a routine inspection of the plant that very month and concluded its issues weren't major. Now, I want you to understand something. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because parasites, evil people, told us that Biden was going to be the most progressive candidate since FDR. 
On one hand, we're saying we've got to get rid of neoliberalism. The neoliberalism creates fascists that with this severe push for privatization, we can expect nothing but bad things to happen. That's one side. Then the next side, every loser under the sun, you've got to vote for Biden. Biden is the man. We've got to have Biden. Biden will be the most progressive candidate since FDR. It's going to be epic. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be wonderful. You got to do it. Of course, you got to vote for Biden. Now you've got this. Now you've got this. And this is such a small thing in the grand scheme of things. The fact is, the same problem we have with the gas prices have nothing to do, nothing to do. It's the same story. Private sector sells gasoline. Private sector sells gasoline. Private sector sells oil. The United States government doesn't sell oil. It's neoliberalism. Do you understand what I'm saying? But this is what creates fascists because they see it and it doesn't work. And what was happening here in this article, specifically this article, is you're realizing that the regulators, the people that are supposed to do antitrust busting, eliminating monopolies like they did even with Judge Green and the Bell system, we don't break up. We don't break up big monopolies anymore because we don't have the regulators there to do it anymore. We have underfunded every single aspect of regulatory uh, capabilities that we had. So it will always fail. So while Buttigieg in a capitalist environment is correct, the federal government should not, should not in any way, shape or form create things because it's a capitalist economy, right? That's straight out of Buttigieg's mouth. TRS stands for the Rogue Scholar. The Rogue Scholar. Here, let me give you a banner so you can see it. There you go. There it is. The Rogue Scholar. Anyway, back to, back to this whole thing here. We're going to show this article some more. But I want you to understand that under a, a capitalist country, under a capitalist system, the federal government is not, is not going to create baby formula. You're, you're, you're thinking about a publicly owned corporation in a socialist environment, which, hey, man, signed me up yesterday. It's Sunday, so five times today signed me up. But you're not going to get any of that in a capitalist environment. And you're not going to get it when you elect neoliberals, when you all double down and triple down and quadruple down on preventing the fall of the Democratic Party over the fear of Tiny Hand Donnie, who, for all the evil Donnie Tiny Hands did, one thing he did that you all don't give him credit for, and that was united the left and the centrists. Okay? You had people that were had a common enemy that we could fight against. You don't have that anymore. Most of the people that told you they would push Biden to the left or pull Biden to the left or whatever are at brunch. They're at vacation. They're hanging out, chilling with the fam, going to a drive-in movie theater, eating ice cream on the lawn, getting ready to watch some fireworks or whatever, as if there isn't a climate crisis, 
as if there isn't something to be organizing about. Bad spouses, whatever the reason is, bottom line is people aren't doing jack diddly. They're angry that alt-media people say something they don't like and they unfollow them or they don't share, they don't whatever. But no, when it comes to the real stuff, the real things out there that we could be doing organizing for, what does organizing mean? It's not just waving your hand at the world, okay? Thank you, Double K, as always. Thank you so much. This is the kind of stuff that keeps our nonprofit alive and well. And folks, we are not just like all your other alt-media. We are actually a fucking nonprofit, and we need your support so badly, so, so badly. Anyway, with that said, with that said, it's important to understand that neoliberalism is all about privatization. Joe Biden is literally trying to privatize Medicare right now. Forget Medicare for all. He's trying to privatize Medicare right now. Now, in Australia, they just kicked out the neolibs. Now, the next batch may be neolibs, too, in their own way. But the point is, is that the conservative government of Australia got booted out of office the other night. Sorry, my friend Steve Keen didn't make it. Sorry, the new liberals didn't make it. But regardless, it was good to see conservatives get their ass kicked. But when the left, the fake left, this neoliberal left, starts going through the process of privatizing and and literally getting rid of public services. And you guys are whining that the federal government hasn't suddenly started taking over production of baby formula. Grow up, Peter Pan, Count Chocula. This is fucking neoliberalism. This is what you voted for. You begged everyone to vote for Joe Biden and you did it, you did it, you did it, and you got it. Now you got Joe Biden. You got a neoliberal in there. You won. You won. You got. You played stupid games. You won stupid prizes. Now you've got a neoliberal president. And damn it, if him and his cabinet and everyone else isn't doing neoliberal things. You guys earned this. You should celebrate. You all fought tooth and nail to get Biden elected. You should be patting yourselves on the back. This is the contradiction. You want for, you want government baby formula, but yet you vote for neoliberals. What kind of worthlessness is that? What kind of fucking stupidity? What contradiction? What a dialectic fucking disaster that is. You can't make it up. So it's like it was only in January that the FDA inspectors actually went to the plant in response to the complaint. And since Abbott shuttered the plant a month later and recalled its products, making the shortage worse, the administration hasn't exactly acted with urgency. Fancy that. A government run by neoliberals doesn't feel it's important to intercede, doesn't feel it's important to intercede within. The private sector, within the business world, they don't want to jump in and interfere with the free hand of the market. The market's spoken. Babies don't need to eat. The market's spoken, right? So anyway, going through here, he goes, then even when the problem became unignorable, the administration had to be pressured for days 
by Democrats and Republicans alike to use the Defense Production Act to get formula on the shelves, despite falsely claiming to have been the first to suggest the wartime law as a way to deal with the pandemic. So Buttigieg is wrong. But what's maybe most interesting is how he's choosing to be wrong. In a line that no doubt prompted much high-fiving and backslapping from his comms team, Buttigieg passes the buck by suggesting there are simply some lines too sacred to be crossed, even in a crisis. In this case, the government directly producing baby formula. It's not just that. In a capitalist system, according to Buttigieg, the government does not make baby formula, and it should not. And it should not. This guy is a fucking murderer. He's a fucking murderer. Capitalism is a disgrace. The jackboots out there, the brown shirts that pushed us to vote for Biden, the proto-fascists. Proto-fascist, folks. Proto-fascist. Say it together with me. Joe Biden is a proto-fascist. Joe Biden is a proto-fascist. Okay, so here, let's let's do this. Let's take a break. I'm going to pause the, the thing. This is a great question. One that I've answered many times, but I'll answer it in really deep way this time. Genuine question. Given you don't think a third party is the answer, for whom should we vote? Again, genuine question. You vote for whoever you want. At the end of the day, we are not getting people in office. Okay? At the end of the day, when they do get in office, they stand on Mama Bear's table with the young kids surrounding her from the Sunrise Movement, make a big splash, and then the minute it comes time to really do some damage, bring the thunder, go ahead the night before election night and endorse Nina Turner and act like you did something. That's what we're dealing with. Get a dress that says tax the rich, whatever the fuck ever, right? Show me something, anything, right, that these people are doing for you. And what I'm saying is this. You've got eight years to address a climate crisis. Eight. Eight years. I can show you all the evidence you need. It was 12, four years ago. It's eight now. It's probably less than that, actually. Do the timelines with me. Let's all work collaboratively with a timeline. We've got eight years to not elect people into office to then come up with an idea for the next 20 years. Eight years to address the carbon emissions in the environment today, to be able to keep it from rising up to a level that will create the cataclysmic conditions that so many have warned about. That's not eight years to build your party. That's not eight years to elect Nina Turner for the fifth time or Bernie Sanders for the 12th time or anybody else for that matter. That's eight years to mitigate it. Now, if you want to vote, and I did, I just voted the other day. I voted in the Pennsylvania primary here, okay? But the fact is, what I'm trying to tell you is that the organization has to be outside the party. Third parties, their goal is power hungry inside the party. You've got all the infighting that goes on with trying to build a third party. You've got all the fucking 
opportunism where they just spend all their time trying to snipe at the other two parties, which is easy, low-hanging fruit for losers, okay? Easy, low-hanging fruit for losers. Ah, oh, the Democrats, ah, oh, the Republicans, ah, oh, the Democrats, ah, oh, the Republicans. And they call that winning. The fact of the matter is, is that we need to be building institutions outside of the party, us together, collaboratively working now to make demands. Part of that would be us getting in the streets, locking arms and blocking traffic, preventing them from just blowing us off, being willing to get arrested to make the point. Okay, to not just roll in and go along to get along and vote for the lesser evil and slap yourself on the back and call it a win. The idea is eight years. Look, do I think 15 years ago, creating a third party might have been pretty cool? Sure. A hundredth party, 20 millionth party, fine, no problem. But at the end of the day, you can see there is a very way cool for school contingent of people out there who are saying flat out, I won't vote for anyone but a third party. Okay. I tried to run for office with the Green Party. They don't give you any funding at all. Zero. You are on your own. And if you work, if you work, you have to go across your state if you're running for Senate. How the hell are you going to do that? They give you no funding. They give you no nothing. That's, that's an established. <clears throat> the Green Party has been around now for 30, 40 years. Okay. And they still can't give you funding to run a campaign. They still can't give you a team of people to phone bank for you. We don't have time to get the celebrations for reaching 5% of the vote. And that's what the Green Party has been striving for for years, just to get 5% of the vote. They're not even looking to win. They're just looking for 5% and they can't get it. And then every single municipality and state government is run by either Democrats or Republicans. So in the state of Pennsylvania, this past election, they petitioned and successfully blocked the Green Party from even being on the ballot. From even being on the ballot. Now, you go knock yourself out. Build you a 50th party. I don't care. As for me and my house, I'm looking at this practically and I'm saying we the people will get co-opted by whatever party we dick around with. There'll always be some sad sack son of a bitch that misleads us, misguides us, takes us down a rabbit hole. I was part of the Progressive Independent Party in the beginning, one of the very first people that tried to get the PIP group in the door back before Bernie capitulated the first round. Then I supported Jill Stein after Bernie capitulated. I didn't go for Hillary Clinton. I'm not a loser. Then the next thing after that, I got involved with Movement for a People's Party and the Progressive Independent Party, this convergence that we were trying to do. And there was a convergence conference. The Green Party wasn't willing to lay down their arms. They felt like everyone should quit and join the Green Party. So they said, no, we're not going to contribute. Then Socialist Alternative was up there. You're like, yeah, they're only kind of localized. They're not really. Nope, they didn't want to do it either. 
They were going to retain their own colors as well. And then you looked at the Justice Party, same exact thing. Each group wanted to maintain their little piece of turf. The little piece of turf. Can you dig it? Right? The little piece of turf. Right? They wanted their little piece of turf. They couldn't even agree to lay down arms to run a single candidate in an area. This is your level of discourse for third-party politics. And then everybody's sleeping with each other behind the scenes. Everybody's fighting with each other behind the scenes. Everybody's kicking each other off of their leadership team behind the scenes. And there's your third-party movement, folks, in a nutshell. I've sweat. I've bled through it. I've dealt with all the kind of bullshit that comes with it. No thank you. It doesn't mean that I don't support third parties. It means that I know for a fact that to get past all the worthless special snowflake shit that has to take place to get through that, that we're going to be dead. Eight years. You got to be a project manager with me. That's what I do for a living, in case you wondered. I am a project manager and I live on timelines. I look at dependencies. I look at all the inputs and outputs. And I think to myself, how do we solve this problem? It's a risk. No, it's an issue. It's gone from risk to issue. And it's gone from being a high risk with low impact to a high risk and high impact. And it's become an issue because it's now happening. So you got eight years. What do you do? Most people I'm seeing, let me just say for the record, let's look at the banner for today's show. Most people are out there chasing headlines, clickbait on social media, yucking it up with their homies, okay? But they're not actually they're not actually out there doing the stuff. Why? Because they are caught up and steeped steeped in bullshit. Like, as long as they can shout at the devil, shout, shout, shout at the devil, whatever, right? As long as they can shout, they're good, man. They've done their part. But the minute you ask them to do something to help out, oh, I couldn't possibly. I'm too busy. You know, I've got bingo on Tuesday nights, and the wife and I are going to binge watch some Netflix on Thursday nights. I know there's a meeting, but we're going to watch television that night. And then on, on the weekend, we're going to we're going to go get some ice cream and we're going to go to the lake and somewhere in there I'll be a revolutionary. Somewhere it'll matter. Oh shit, you mean 8 years? God damn how uh uh this is what we're dealing with. Now you can you can tell me I'm wrong. But you've got to understand. Yeah, here, look. Good good comment. Good thank you for the buckage, but that comment is right on the money. Look, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to get back to this article, okay? You've got to say what my problem statement is. What am I solving for? What exactly is it that I'm solving for? And i got to tell you for real, Bill Mitchell calls the average person, the Green Party, and a neoliberal on bicycles because they don't understand economics, okay? And so all of us think that if I just ride a bicycle, if I just do this, or if I go, yeah, I love it. There you go. We got Buffy and Biff's. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Oh my God. The fucking narcissism is out of this world. Yes. But you got all this insanity going on. People can't be bothered. They, they cannot be bothered. 
to learn. And it, you've got to define your problem statement. What is it we're trying to solve? This is part of the problem with Occupy Wall Street. You got to define the problem. Once you define the problem, now you can find the scope of what you're going to do to address the problem. Then you've got to get people in leadership to be able to work through that, to be able to organize around that. And then you've got to lay out the deliverables, the things you think you're going to achieve so you can assign them to people so they, get, they don't get magically done. How many people do you know even don't even know how to use a goddamn spreadsheet? much less set up a meeting in Microsoft Outlook or, or Google anything. I'm not joking. And how many people will look around and expect someone else to do everything? You know, it's this otherism. Somebody else is going to do it. The bystander syndrome, okay? So eight years. Now you figure... Movement for a People's Party has been trying to do stuff since they tried to draft Bernie for a People's Party, and that's going back shit. What, 2016, 2017? You know? And, and you look at PIP, and that went back even further, 2015? And you look at the Green Party. Tell me, at what point in time is the Green Party going to stop pushing people away and embrace people in that maybe don't have their special panache for how they say things. Their coded language. You know, I was listening, and this is, oh my God, please, I've talked about this countless times, please read Michael Parenti's book, Black Shirts and Reds. Please read Michael Parenti's book, Black Shirts and Reds. And let me tell you what he does. He explains to lefties why they ain't making progress. He talks about your special coded language. You've got all these special coded ways of saying things, navel gazing and things like that. Saying things in a way that doesn't encourage new people into the fold, doesn't explain things in a way that they can hear you. And so the left twiddles around in its own little spaces off to the sides. Instead of speaking the common man's tongue, the common woman's tongue, the tongue of desperation. So they try, let's talk about the means of production. Let's talk about surplus value. Well, all these things are important to understand. Production, who owns it, blah, blah, blah. The fact is you already know you're being screwed. Your life is being sucked away. You don't need to hear more that you're living it. What you need to know is that there is an alternative. And that means we got to teach each other. We got to talk in a language that we each understand. If it gets so esoteric, I know a lot of guys that are really fucking smart and they never use the fuck word like I do. Fuck, 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 okay? I'm a fuck, 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 fuck kind of guy, okay? But they wouldn't use it because they would talk about some big word, and I'm not going to use any words because there's some words that specific groups use that if I use them, they'll immediately know he's talking about us, and I know damn well he's talking about us. But the fact is, there's groups out there that like to use terms to make themselves feel a little bit more intelligent. Okay? And we have got to get to where we're bringing everyone to the table. People that don't have a clue, that won't read, that won't organize, that won't do any of that. We got to bring them in. And we got to teach them that capital is crushing us. 
But more importantly, though, we got to show them what's going on with the economy and the environment together so they can see what it is that we're fighting for, what we're fighting against. And we got to make it so that they understand it. And you're not going to get that if every five minutes you're worried about, well, we got to find a candidate in Lafayette and we got to find a candidate in Columbia. We got to find a candidate in Santa Monica and we got to find a candidate in Seattle and we got to find a candidate in Wisconsin. We got to find a candidate. And then we got to roll up and we got to, we got to, we got to campaign for this. Oh my God. We got to deal with all the naysayers about that candidate. And then we've got to build relations. Think about every time you try to get a candidate elected, you've got to know the ropes to know and the ropes get, you got to bring people in and people don't show up to elections. They don't, but you let, the inner circle of the Democratic Party, like James Clyburn, sit there and scream, Nina Turner in Ohio, let's go. They ran there to fight and beat down Nina Turner and threw all their efforts in for Chantel Brown. That's what you're dealing with. And the problem is that that right there is your primary. How do you get to the general, right? Now, unfortunately, you still got a metric ton of vote blue, no matter who's, they're going to block because they think you're a splitter. You're a splitter. Okay. And so they're not going to support your third party candidate because the answer is always going to be, what do you want, a Republican? That's always going to be the answer. No matter what, that's it. They still blame Nader for Bush v. Gore. Not all the Pumas, okay, not all the fucking, you know, Democrats that voted Republican, not any of that. They vote, they, they, they point at Gore. I mean, excuse me, Nader. This is, this is it. We got eight years. We got eight years. Eight years. So I want to show you this. I'm, let's get back to this article here. Governments around the world and even in the United States are today and have been in the past engaged in production in a vast array of different industries, sometimes competing with the private sector. In other cases, as monopoly producers, even in capitalist societies, there has been a widely held principle that certain things are so critical to the functioning of life and the economy, they shouldn't be left to the whims of unacceptable or, excuse me, unaccountable private actors looking to get rich at any cost, but be put under some kind of democratic control and their revenues allowed to be recycled for the common good. An obvious and perennial case is healthcare, where countries that have state-dominated insurance systems, Medicare for all, in other words, have far, far better health outcomes than the privatized corporate-controlled system in the United States. The richest country in the world, I despise that, because that's not, we, we create our currency out of thin air. It's really about productive capacity, right? Anyway, neither here nor there. And in those countries where the state also owns and operates the bulk of health sector itself as a monopoly, those superior health outcomes are delivered at an especially low cost. The idea that the government should not be providing health care simply because this is capitalism, damn it has long been a talking point in the United States. But in the past, it was at least mainly confined to spokespeople for corporations and the right, 
And one, they've tried to throw at virtually every other initiative meant to protect Americans' economic security that we don't find remotely controversial today. But healthcare is just one example. Look at Sweden, where even after decades of neoliberal pressures, the government is still directly involved in producing and managing everything from pharmaceuticals, banking, and logistics to housing, forestry, and telecommunications even alcohol sales in airports. It's a similar story across the rest of Scandinavia, all wealthy and also capitalist countries that have far higher living standards of living, far higher standards of living and happiness than the United States. It was the same in my home country of New Zealand, where government once upon a time, in the words of the Center for Public Impact, owned much of the economic infrastructure in the country, from banks and telecommunications to forest power plants and other industrial entities. Its corporatization and subsequent sell-off of many of those assets happened to coincide with soaring inequality, long-running cost pressures on working households. This cost-of-living crisis has gotten so bad now, a government agency recently suggested creating a state-owned supermarket chain to inject some actual competition into the grocery duopoly. The free market has created an idea rejected by the country's current liberal government and a host of commentators for reasons not much more sophisticated than booty judge. It's not their role to do that, said one. Coming from someone who prides himself on dogma-free pragmatism on every other question, it's noteworthy that as soon as the subject turns to the purity of capitalism, Buttigieg smoothly morphs into a rigid ideologue. But ideological rigidity is probably a necessary prerequisite for anyone to take the position Buttigieg is adopting here. After all, being a private for-profit company, Abbott's main goal as far as any business in capitalism will tell you, is not to serve the public good, but to make as much fucking money as possible. So rather, rather than spending the money on tending to equipment that was badly in need of repair, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on stock buybacks to enrich themselves instead. Then they deceived inspectors and falsified records to hide the serious issues going on in their plant and keep the gravy train running. Issues that workers in the ter- in turn were too scared to blow the whistle on because they feared retaliation. Incidentally, if they had the kinds of worker protections that the unionized federal workforce enjoys, maybe the crisis would have been nipped in the bud. But heaven forbid the government should make stuff. Buttigieg insistence that the government shouldn't be involved in vital industries just because shows him to be fundamentally unfit to wield power in a crisis. But it also suggests that for all the talk of a bold new activist government, liberalism, elite liberals are still stuck in the mindset of a long gone era. And that's the end. That's the fucking end. Folks, this is the deal. Think about a Green New Deal and what that means. What does a Green New Deal mean? If you're Elizabeth Warren and all the other neoliberals, it means another market opportunity. It means another opportunity for markets to make money. Think about the marijuana industry right now. 
How many poor black and brown people went to jail for selling a dime bag? But now, because they found a way for capitalists to make a few bucks extra, they have kind of legalized medical marijuana and, and even recreational marijuana. But to get to be able to sell it, you had to be daddy warbucks to begin with. You had to go through some crazy level of investment to get in the door. The entry was impossible. So all the people that were really screwed by this are in jail, while there's simultaneously people that put them in jail are now owning weed factories and weed dispensaries and are getting rich off the very thing they prosecuted people for. No joke. Michelle Alexander, who I couldn't believe at first was against legalization in Ohio, stood up tall and proud and said, fuck you. Fuck you. You are not going to go ahead and privatize the medical marijuana industry while so many black and brown people still languish behind bars over something as simple and menial as selling a dime bag or having weed on them or a joint on them. Their entire lives are screwed as a result of this. So ultimately, the rules that make up private sector or the rules that make up public sector are very different. And depending upon what the edict from the management team is, okay, and whether or not there's actual teeth to enhance and enforce rules and regulations, you're going to get FUBAR government or private. But see, the thing is, we have auditory groups out there, groups that are supposed to regulate. They're all extremely underfunded, understaffed. I want you to understand something else. Just in the state of Pennsylvania alone, kids with autism require a bunch of different pieces of help. They require somebody that can be an intercessor in classrooms for them to be on their behalf, to be their advocate. They need people that will work with them on speech therapy, on all kinds of tactile kind of sensory help, integration with people, learning how to handle disappointment, learning how to understand how to interact. And there's nobody there. They're, they're not able to find people because they're paying them pennies on the dollar. They're paying them pennies on the dollar. Okay. We're talking about everything that matters to us is underfunded. The only thing not underfunded is the military. And what do they use the military for? The military is not there to protect us. The military is there to go around and clear markets around the world. But that's what they fund. So as I'm looking at you all, and I'm looking at myself as well, I'm telling you right now, I'm not asking you to suddenly recycle more. I'm not telling you to put your money where your mouth is and ride a bicycle to work. All that stuff, if you want to do it, I'm sure it will help in some way. It may be more of a mental thing that it helps. The fact is, is that the real stuff, agricultural production, the military, the style and type of energy that we use, our waste management practices, all of this stuff <coughs> contribute to the climate crisis that we're in, all of it. And the problem is to fix it, you have to actually interfere. You have to actually regulate. You have to actually enforce regulation. 
and you have to actually put white collar criminals behind bars. Okay. Fines, fees, and penalties are great for little people like you and I. But for the average person, we don't have a pot to piss and it's just, it's not doing anything. You've got to really, really make the regulations hold water. But they're not going to. They're not going to. Why? Because we are not demanding it. Sure, we might say it on social media. Sure, we might get really righteously outraged at some random YouTuber that said something we didn't like. But lo and behold, Joe Biden can fuck you in the ear hole and you'll still vote for him. Pete Buttigieg can screw Bernie Sanders in Iowa. He can sit there and screw him in India. He can screw him all over the place. He can talk shit. He can join forces with people to block him. But when push comes to shove and they say, what do you want, Trump? You'll cave like a fucking cheap house of cards. Not you, probably not you, and not you, but you, clearly. So how do you fit all that into an eight-year period? The only way I know to do this is outside the electoral system. To really put those, I mean, we should take the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal includes job guarantee, a just transition, Medicare for all, uh, free college, eliminating student debt. It involves all kinds of, it's a full 360 view of what needs to be done to make society work in a sustainable way, to take the burden off the people and put it on corporations and to put it on our government to make the right calls, okay? And unfortunately, it's not going to happen. Biden said he wouldn't do it. He came up with this freaking build back better bullshit, and it turned out to be a giant nothing burger. We allowed the, the, the air cover of mansion and cinema to block all this stuff, which is horse shit in the chef's salad. Because you've never seen Democrats come to fight so hard as to block Nina Turner or to block Bernie Sanders. Why didn't they all join forces to attack Manchin and attack Cinema? I'll tell you why. Because they supported what they did. They supported what they did. Those two are the traveling, rotating villains that keep us all spun up. The only way to bypass that is to block traffic, to sit in front of Biden's house with a, a digital graffiti. Not something that will destroy the house they can arrest you for for property damage, but digital graffiti. Go out to these people. Do this stuff, but unite together and prepare. Talk to the lawyers' guilds. Make sure that you've got legal representation. Make sure that we're able to lock arms and do the right things. But unfortunately, I swear to God, the problem is, and this is where the real problem is, forget all these big things that I've laid out for you, and I've laid out a lot. The, a lot of things with our government that you know, it's neoliberal. Most of our friends sadly voted this neoliberal piece of shit into office, okay? They can't, they're not being loud now. They're not pulling them left. They're quiet. They're out the brunch. They're on a vacay. They're taking selfies at you know Burning Man and, and Coachella. They're out there at the beach, whooping it up with drinks with fucking umbrellas. The fact is, is that you need to have a plan. And it's not always tic-tac-toe. Here's this one thing, do that. Oh, no, it didn't work. Okay, everything falls apart. You have to come up with strategies. 
for how to do it, whether it be mutual aid. It's just, these are words, right? They're words without action. Words without action. Action requires the doing. It requires the organizing. It requires typing, writing things up, talking to each other, showing up ready to get something done, skipping the tennis match, skipping the the bike riding for the day, skipping the, the trip to the park to hang out, whatever. It might be skipping the binge watching of some fucked up stupid show and reading a book to learn more. It may be something else. You may have to sacrifice something you weren't prepared to sacrifice. Maybe it's not even something all that important. But you begin to realize how low on the totem pole people's priorities are for making real change. The real change that needs to happen, it's always way down here on the bottom. So low, you're digging through, trying to find an ounce of give a fuck. See, here's the thing, right? In project management, when you know that there is a risk of something, like, for example, let's pull up what uh, Top Cop said up here. Um, see if I can find the comment here. Um, I think it is, if we block, here we go. If we block traffic, they'll freeze our bank accounts. Folks, if, if, if we don't block traffic, they're going to freeze your bank accounts at different levels. They're going to start putting other forms of austerity on us as it stands. I can't, I don't have all the answers. Folks, just let me be crystal clear. I don't have every answer. I just know the general functional way of saying we have got to organize outside the party where we don't have to do all those hundreds of layers of things, all the hundreds of layers to do. And you're exactly right. This is the truth. I'm going to leave that comment up the rest of the show here. That is the God's honest truth. I can tell you as a guy who runs two nonprofits, this statement is godsend. This is exactly the truth. That is, boy, oh boy, if we could have summed up this entire live stream, it's in the post from Desert Manus right there. Most people I know are complacent. God's honest truth. You know, I've gotten to the point where I, I'm just trying anything to spark this understanding of eight years. I mean, I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm going to show you. I, I've, I've done this before, but I'm going to show you this because I think this is, I think this is important. And, um, I'm going to read this. I don't know whether or not it makes sense to read it, but I'm going to read it anyway. This right here is an old article by a guy named Jason Hickel. And Jason is one of the smartest dudes I know ever. And he's like, what would it look like? Here, let me hide myself so you can see it. What would it look like if we... <clears throat> treated climate change. Sorry, dude, I am going to hide your comment, damn it. What would it look like if we treated climate change as an actual emergency? By Jason Hickel, right? I come through here and I'm just going to read it. 
As the dust settles on COP26, the 26 United Nations Climate Change Conference, the results do not look good. Despite a flurry of headline-grabbing pledges, national commitments brings us nowhere to meeting the Paris Agreement target of 1.5 degrees, according to Climate Action Tracker. 73% of existing net zero pledges are weak and inadequate lip service to climate action. What is more, a yawning gap remains between pledges, which are easy enough to make, and actual policies, which are all that really count. You can pledge all you like, but what we need is action right now. Existing government policies have us hurtling toward 2.7 degrees of heating in the coming decades. What will happen to our world under these conditions? As temperatures approach 3 degrees, 30 to 50% of species are likely to be wiped out. More than 1.5 billion will be displaced from their home regions. Yields of staple crops will face major decline, triggering sustained food supply disruptions globally. Much of the tropics will be rendered uninhabitable for humans. Such a world is not compatible with our civilization as we know it. The status quo is a death march. Our governments are failing us and failing all of life on Earth. Okay? Failing all of life on Earth. All this makes it worth asking, what would it look like if we treated climate crisis like an actual emergency? What would it take to keep global heating to no more than 1.5 degrees? The single most important intervention is the one that so far no government has been willing to touch. Cap fossil fuel use and scale it down on a binding annual schedule until the industry is mostly dismantled by the middle of the century. That's it. This is the only fail-safe way to stop climate breakdown. If we want real action, this should be at the top of every one of our agenda. How fast this needs to happen depends on the country. Rich countries are responsible for the overwhelming majority of the excess emissions that are causing climate breakdown. They also have levels of energy use that are vastly higher than other countries and vastly in excess of what is required to meet human needs, with most of the surplus being diverted to service corporate expansion and elite consumption. Zero by 2030 is a global average target. A fair share approach would require rich countries to eliminate most fossil fuel use no later than 2030 or 2035 to give poorer countries more time to transition. Let that sink in. Now, this is the Paris Accord. Let me just, let me just be real clear here. This is the Paris Accord. This is not the IPCC talking about the fact that we have eight years. Okay, and I'll show you that too after this. It sounds simultaneously dramatic, but also obvious. Fossil fuels account for three quarters of greenhouse gas emissions, and they have to go. A new campaign endorsed by 100 Nobel laureates and several thousand scientists call for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty to do just that. An international agreement to end fossil fuels on a fair and binding schedule. Why is that? Then, that politicians are so unwilling to take this necessary step? Part of it is they're too cowardly to face down the fossil fuel companies and their army of lobbyists who fight tooth and nail to prevent even the most moderate threats to their profits. And part of it is because they bought into the narrative peddled hard by billionaires and others who have an interest in maintaining the status quo, including the fossil fuel companies themselves, 
that technology will be developed to suck enough carbon out of the atmosphere such that we can keep burning fossil fuels for the rest of the century. This is the fudge behind net zero promises. Of course, carbon removal will have to play a role, but scientists have warned repeatedly that it is unfeasible at scale and highly risky. If for whatever reason it fails, <coughs> we will be locked into a high temperature trajectory from which it will be impossible to escape. The tricky part is that once we accept this reality, we have to face up to the fact that scaling down fossil fuels fast enough to avoid catastrophe means fundamentally changing the economy. And I mean fundamentally. Think about it. Imagine next year we cut fossil fuel use by 10% and the following year we cut it another 10% and so on the next year and the next. Even if we throw everything we have at building our renewable energy capacity and improving energy efficiency, which we must do as a matter of urgency, there's no way we can cover the full gap. The truth is that rich countries are going to have to get by with less energy, a lot less. How can we possibly manage such a scenario? Well, in the existing economy, it would be sheer chaos. The price of energy would skyrocket. People would be unable to afford essential goods. Businesses would collapse. Unemployment would rise. Capitalism, which depends on perpetual growth just to stay afloat, is structurally incapable of sustaining such a transition. And let's get past this. Fortunately, there is another way. It is possible to keep global heating under 1.5 degrees, but it requires that we shift into emergency mode. And it requires us to be honest with ourselves about the reality that has to change. No fairy tales. First, we have to nationalize the fossil fuel industry and the energy companies bringing them under public control, just like any other essential service or utility. This will allow us to wind down fossil fuel production and use in line with science-based schedules without having to constantly fight fossil fuel companies and capital and their propaganda. It also allows us to protect against price chaos and ration energy to where it is needed most to keep essential services going. At the same time, we need to scale down less necessary parts of the economy in order to reduce excess energy demand. SUVs, private jets, commercial air travel, industrial beef, fast fashion, advertising, planned obsolescence, the military industrial complex, and so on. We need to focus the economy on what is required for human well-being and ecological stability rather than on the corporate profits and elite consumption. Second, we need to protect the people by establishing a firm social foundation, a social guarantee. We need to guarantee universal public health care, housing, education, transport, water, and energy, and internet so that everyone has access to the resources they need to live well. And as unnecessary industrial production slows down, we need to shorten the working week to share necessary labor more evenly and introduce a climate job guarantee to ensure that everyone has access to a decent livelihood with basic income for those who cannot work or choose not to. And eh, we can talk about that. This is the bread and butter of a just transition. How do you pay for a social guarantee? Any government that has monetary sovereignty can fund it by issuing national currency. Folks, bam, Jason Hickel, folks, that's MMT right there. Why do we not have our alt media talking about this? 
I mean, folks, I'm involved in a lot of alt media. Why is this not everybody's language? Literally everyone's language right there. Why is everyone not seeing this 24 by 7 by 365? Why is anyone pushing back? Why does anyone ever have something stupid to say in return? Why in the world are they given adult status? Why are they allowed to have an opinion? It's fucking moronic. How do you pay for social guarantee? Any government that has monetary sovereignty can fund it by issuing the national currency. Think of quantitative easing, but this time for people on the planet. This is true for all high-income countries, although the EU countries, it would have to be done in a coordinated fashion. The crucial thing is that to prevent any risk of inflation, we also have to reduce the purchasing power of the rich. And that brings us to the next point. Third, we need to tax the rich out of existence. As Thomas Piketty has pointed out, cutting the purchasing power of the rich is the single most powerful way to reduce excess energy use and emissions. This may sound radical, but think about it. It is irrational and dangerous to continue supporting an overconsuming class in the middle of a climate emergency. We cannot allow them to appropriate energy so vastly beyond what anyone could reasonably need. How can we do this? Well, one approach would be to introduce a wealth tax, make it tough enough that rich people will be incentivized to sell off assets that are surplus to actual requirements. We can also introduce a maximum income policy such that anything over a certain threshold faces 100% rate of tax. In addition to cutting excess consumption at the top, this approach will also reduce in wealth and uh, excuse me, reduce inequality and eliminate the oligarchic power that pollutes our politics. Now, I want to be saying something about this right here. This whole, and I'm going to take myself and put myself on screen. The idea of taxing the rich. Folks, we're not talking about people that are doing reasonably well, regular people that are doing well. We want everyone to do be doing reasonably well. We're talking about obscene wealth, but we're also talking about something more important. And that is, Taxes literally don't fund these programs. So you notice he didn't say, well, tax the rich to pay for climate change. Only a worthless piece of shit would say that, right? He's saying government can do it, period. We'll just spend the money into existence, period, right? Period, that's it. Spend the money into existence. Let's get back to the article so we can see this right. But he's also saying, We'll tax these people out of existence, the high, 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 the ridiculous, the billionaire class, because they have such an outsized footprint, carbon footprint, that causes so many problems to society. Causes so many problems to society. We need to tax them out of existence. But stop tying taxing the rich with paying for programs. They don't have anything to do with each other. Just stop. Just stop. Stop it now. Stop it yesterday. Stop it forever. Don't ever say that again. Don't ever say it again. So, over here he says, fourth, we need a massive public mobilization to achieve our ecological goals. We need to build our renewable energy capacity, expand public transport, insulate buildings, and regenerate ecosystems. This requires public investment, but it also requires labor. Let's stop right there. Let's start right there, right there. This right here. This is such an important thing. We talk about a federal job guarantee. 
federal job guarantee can be used to mobilize everyone. Okay. To re to build our renewable energy capacity. Folks, we can afford to pay for any kind of professional level worker, engineer, the best of the best of the best, sir, to address this problem. To expand public transport, insulate buildings, and regenerate ecosystems. Get this, here it is. Here's the punchline. This requires public investment, but it also requires labor. There's a lot of work to do, and it won't happen on its own. This is where the climate job guarantee comes in. Now, I'm going to disagree with Jason here a little bit because money is just money. We create it out of thin air. So if it's a pro program to hire people to make green energy happen, these are pros. These are experts. These are people that are not entry-level people. The guarantee of the job guarantee is intended to set the baseline. So there is no more, you know, free labor, basically, with people getting shit wages and then some loser offering a UBI to subsidize a shit wage. Okay, this is we can hire those people at the correct wage, at a wage that gets the best of the best in there to do this work. The government can outprice the private sector instantly, can render it obsolete by paying them what needs to be paying. Literally. Okay. So I want you to understand why this is important. Sometimes I hear from individuals, and mind you, I support reparations. I support global reparations for the global South who has been used and abused by the global North forever. I also support reparations for um, ADOS, for people that were descendants of slaves. Okay. I support reparations across the board. The fact of the matter is, is that those reparations aren't going to do you jack shit of good if literally the, the environment collapses around you, okay? We can walk and chew gum at the same time. And I am, I'm going to. Because see, if you don't understand how the economy works, if you don't understand that the government, regardless of the worthless libertarians that tell you otherwise, if you don't understand the government is the creator of the currency, it's a law. The unit of account, the law, is the U.S. dollar. We can spend as much money as we need to fix climate change, period. And then we can tax the bejesus out of any of the gougers. Will we do it? Well, we won't do it by voting our way there. You're not going to get that done by voting. You may get there by making enough of a scene publicly, by being a persistent single trick, taking the Green New Deal language and all the necessary programs and making those our call to arms. We don't need to debate about a million other things. That's your debate. That's, that's the demands. That's the demands. And if we do that, we don't have to sit there and roll dice and wonder what we're going to do. We already have a platform by which we can unite around, okay? We already have a platform by which we can unite. Then it becomes an issue of tactics. What are the tactics we can use to bring that unity to making a difference, to making an impact, to organize, not just door knock and phone bank for your local fucking candidate. Jesus Christ, how boring and how useless. 
We need to be organizing collaboratively together to make demands that can't be, oh, well, you've got to understand they're a candidate. They're a candidate. They've got to get elected. So they can't tell the truth up there. They've got to mitigate what they say. They might not be pure enough for you. They might not be whatever. You get all the explainerisms and all the other shit. The fact is, is that we've got this tiny window to fix it. Politics be damned. Party politics be damned. You know, all that be damned. All that be damned. So let's get back to this. He says, I'll read this whole thing again because I think it's so important. Fourth, we need a massive public mobilization to achieve our ecological goals. We need to build a renewal, we need to build our renewable energy capacity, expand public transport, insulate buildings, regenerate ecosystems. This requires public investment, but it also requires labor. Nobody's going to be unemployed during this, folks. You ain't got to worry about that. Okay, there you go. There's going to be full employment and it's going to be filled to the rim with brim with high quality jobs. And there's no reason that we got to pay the bargain basement. We can pay people better than a stipend. We can give them a living wage and then some so they can thrive. The fact is, there's a lot of work to do and it won't happen on its own. This is where the climate guarantee comes in. The job guarantee will ensure that anyone who wants to train, to participate in the most important collective projects of our generation, doing dignified, socially necessary work with a living wage. Job guarantee, folks. Job guarantee. Mobilization. The proper shit. The real shit. Okay? Finally, we need a strong commitment to climate reparations. Rich countries have colonized the atmosphere for their own er, enrichment while inflicting the majority of the costs onto the global south. This is an act of theft theft of the atmospheric commons on which we all rely and it needs to be repaired. We need to support our sisters and brothers in the South who already bear the overwhelming brunt of catastrophe that they have done little to create. This should include a policy of debt cancellation so poor countries are no longer forced to devote their limited resources to servicing the demands of big banks and can instead focus on meeting people's needs and renewable technologies should be transferred for free to countries that cannot easily afford them, patent waivers if needed to facilitate the fastest possible energy transition globally. I'm going to take a second to talk about that. I've talked at length about the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, okay? And by the way, this, this is something I want to address right here. I'm not letting this go away. Can't help with the activism while poor as fuck. And they're not wrong. Dre, you're not wrong. What you're wrong about, the where you are wrong, is this. A proper socialist would understand how important mutual aid is right now. A proper socialist would understand how important it is that an injury to one is an injury to all. This is good old labor understandings here. These are all things that our forerunners have taught us and spades. We must create these parallel systems to ensure that activists can thrive and survive during direct action. That includes working with uh, lawyers to make sure that people that are arrested are actually taken care of, that their civil disobedience is not used to squash them. This is all to ensure that we, the people, 
Oh, I see I'm missing something here, folks. I'm so sorry. I'm going to look in here and see if I can find it. Too depressing. We have no power, especially those of us, no social security. Yeah. I mean, folks, listen, I, I want you to understand. I'm so glad that this stuff is talking about it in here, but I want you to understand something. Our government creates money every time it spends. Anything, anytime we don't have a money to do something, it's a lie. And so your being in a suffering position is intentional. It's a political choice by neoliberal pieces of shit to squash and destroy regular people. Because like Booty Judge says, we don't need the government to do it because it's a capitalist country. We shouldn't do it. The government shouldn't be involved in these things. It should be the private sector. And this is what happened to every, every time somebody hit the button for Biden, they empowered neoliberalism. You may have said, I'm voting against Trump. And that's a fair thing because Trump was a madman. Okay. But the fact is that Biden, dude's a sundowner. Dude's fucking shit up left and right. Okay. And he got cut Mala Harris as his VP. And they're busy shooting progressives down everywhere they go to run for office. And even those progressives that get by end up being co-opted once they're in the door. They don't play politics the right way and they don't get shit done. Okay? They don't get shit done. So you tell me how we go forward without it being us on the outside, without us working collaboratively together. It's the only way forward, folks, which sadly will require a lot of egos to be put to bed, which will sadly require a lot of people to think a little differently. I can't stand clickbait on social media. I can't stand clickbait stories. I can't stand freaking, you know, current events and shit. Because all of it is a distraction. We've got eight years. And not eight years to elect the third party or to build another party or anything, but to literally get the ball in motion to mitigating the climate. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep reading this to get us through here more because this is important still. Finally, we need a strong commitment to climate reparations. Rich countries have colonized the atmosphere for their own enrichment while inflicting the majority of the costs onto the global south. This is an act of theft, theft of the atmospheric commons on which we all rely, and it needs to be repaired. We need to support our sisters and brothers in the south who already bear the overwhelming brunt of a catastrophe they have done little to create. This should include a policy of debt cancellation so poorer countries are no longer forced to devote their limited resources to servicing the demands of big banks and instead focusing on meeting people's needs. And renewable technology should be transferred for free to countries that cannot easily afford them with patent waivers if needed to facilitate the fastest possible energy transition globally. Now, I'm going to take one more step back on this. These countries in the global south, they don't have the kind of infrastructure to manufacture that we do in the United States, that a lot of the global north has. And so they end up having to import lots of things to survive. Many of them were okay without importing shit. Many of them were just sort of 
just dealing with a different culture. But the minute they needed foreign reserves, the minute they needed foreign currency to pay their foreign debts, to afford the imports that their wealthy in their country were buying, et cetera, in order for them to get those foreign reserves, they had to go to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. And the International Monetary Fund has rules. And those rules are that you must give up your public space. You must give up your public services. You must not protect domestic industry. You must open it up to competition. You must become a neoliberal society. Oh, and by the way, you have to pay back your debt and promise to never file bankruptcy. And oh, by the way, you've got to pay interest on that debt whether or not your people are eating or not, because the debt servicing comes before your well-being and they institute austerity. So the global South has paid a heavy price for American opulence, for German opulence, for Northern European opulence, for all of these quote-unquote industrialized nations' opulence. We have fed off of them while they had to take out loans from the IMF with incredibly horrible structural adjustments on them that forced them to become slovenly slave states. This is what we've done. And we've extracted all the wealth from their soil. We've extracted the labor from them. We have extracted their hopes and dreams from them. Yeah, we owe them some reparations. And this includes Africa, folks. I want you to know it includes Africa, includes South America, it includes so many people. So many countries. And so I want you to think about something else too. What are patent laws for, right? Patent laws are to protect intellectual private property. Private property, once again, folks, private fucking property. I don't care if your country is going to die of this disease we let loose in some laboratory. We are going to withhold the drugs from you because you can't afford to pay the drug. Oh, you're going to go to the IMF and get a loan? Oh, okay. Well, now it's okay. Now we'll give you the patent because after all, you're a slave to us now. Who cares? Who cares? You see what I'm saying? I'm going to get back to the finish of the story here real quickly. And so it's like, let me get back here. Uh, did I screw this up? Finally, in a strong, I already read that. Free country, you know, okay. Waivers if needed, okay. So what would a world, what would such a world look like? Our cynicism and fear would melt into hope and solidarity. That sounds good to me. We would feel the thrill and camaraderie of being part of something big, something transformative, something together. There would be a lot less needless commodity production and a lot fewer bullshit jobs. Our society would be more equal and poverty would be a thing of the past. Our economy would be organized around human needs and resilience 
rather than around endless capital accumulation. And most importantly, emissions would fall rapidly year after year in a dramatic break from a failure of past several decades. Our planet would begin to heal. It's unlikely, however, that any government will be willing to take the necessary steps alone for fear of disadvantage. A few progressive countries might, and doing this would light the path ahead, but ultimately we need coordinated action, which is why the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty is so important. We know that the only way governments will get rid of nuclear weapons is for everyone to agree to do it together. So two with fossil fuels. Oh, hold on real quick. We've got a thing we should have done what Bernie said, show up by the millions outside McConnell's window. It's so effing hard when you're poor. You're damn right it is. And that's why we need mutual aid. That's exactly why we need mutual aid. You're exactly right. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all very much for all the support. And Trudy, I know that that $5 meant a lot to you and it means a lot to me. So I want you to be aware that we're grateful for that. I'm going to keep doing this as much as I can to whatever extent there's value in my doing it. And I'll keep doing it until somebody tells me it's useless. If it's useless, at least I tried, right? That's where I'm at. I'm trying my best. I, I only have so many tools and it requires, I feel like Honestly, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I feel like Will Ferrell, to be honest with you. Here, let's let's show you something funny. This right here, my friends, is me. I swear it's me. It's me all the way. It looks like me. It's shaped like me. It's 100% me. This is, this is it. This is me all the way. I'm begging people to follow me and everybody's looking at me like I'm insane. They don't want me to do it. They don't want me to speak. They would like me to shut up. <laughs> it's like, get off me, man. Get off me, man. You fat old white guy. Get off me. Get the heck out of here. And so there I go. I'm trying to get everybody to go solve the climate crisis. I'm running through the, the crowd nude and everybody's laughing at me like, what the hell, man? What the hell is this cat doing? Thank God for Snoop to play the soundtrack of my life. But there I am getting everybody to run with me. Come on, everybody. Come on. And I look worse than Will Ferrell, if that's possible. But that's me trying to get you guys to come with me to fight climate crisis. And that's me making a fool of myself, begging and pleading and kicking and screaming. And then here's probably what it would look like when Melanie comes up behind me, wondering what in the Sam Hill I'm doing. I mean, my goodness, what in the world is Grumbine doing right now? Is Grumbine actually doing anything useful or is Grumbine just a buffoon? Because obviously somebody, somebody is streaking through the quad and it's like, what the hell is he doing? And here come the bougie ladies, the ladies that are living La Vida Loco, going and having their avocado toast and their mimosas and doing life the way that that only the elite can do when you wear a fur and you you know you're living life la vida loco that's me running and that's them saying what the fuck are you doing and there i am trying to pay my amends trying to make it so that you don't hate me but what can i say i mean that's me you know what i'm saying that's me right there that's me a hundred percent get in the damn car Get in the car. Who's true? Oh, there's nobody behind me. There's absolutely not a soul 
running with me. Everybody's doing it right now. Okay. And here I go. Uh, they don't show my butt going into the car. Damn it. Damn it, man. Damn it. <laughs> but that is me. Do you get it? That's me. So anyway, just how do we stop the climate breakdown? It won't happen on its own. Asking politely for the ruling class to act is not going to cut it. It will require an extraordinary struggle against those who benefit prodigiously from the status quo, as it has every movement that has ever changed the world, from civil rights movement to anti-colonial movement. It requires doing the hard work of community organizing, building wall-to-wall solidarity strong enough to hold up against political attacks. It requires forging alliances between the environmentalist movement and the labor movement and across national borders, folks, across national borders, sufficient to pull off coordinated strike action. The decade, this decade is a linchpin of history. We cannot afford to just sit back and wait to see what happens. We have to capture political power where we can or otherwise force incumbents to change course. And that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That, my friends, is from a guy named Jason Hickel. And just fantastic right there. Fantastic. But this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about today, right now. Uh, World Health Assembly votes to overthrow country's sovereignty today through pandemic treaty, and there's no U.S. Senate vote since it amends an existing treaty. Oh, noes. I, I don't. I don't think I really listen too much to that stuff right now. I'm right now. What I'm focused on is building solidarity to force climate action. That's it. To force a green new deal, to force us to get job guarantee for everyone, to ensure everyone can eat, to make sure that the supply chains are taken care of in an eco-friendly way, to make sure that we are living our best lives while we simultaneously take on this horrible climate crisis. Now, listen, we may not be able, we may not be able to do what we think we can do. We may not be able to turn back the clock in terms of the climate. But what we can do is prepare to mitigate the largest problems. Folks, once the climate crisis really kicks in and there are climate refugees moving from country A to country B, and those groups over here are Hindu and these groups over here are Muslim and they're going to clash like crazy, and then war comes out, and then all of a sudden you've got the next worthless Clive and Bundy blocking up a river so that they can have a dam, so they can build their own waterway and screw the people down river from having water. Yes, this is the libertarian hellscape that we are. Yes, Scott, bingo, man, we are going streaking. Hank the tank, Hank the tank, right? Anyway, I just want to make sure that you all understand that from my vantage point, this is it. Ask me how we're going to organize. I'm going to say when people decide they're willing to do work, when people decide they think if they can sit on social media dicking around, they can sit on their computer dicking around, helping put together plans, helping edit videos to get the word out, helping do sound, helping learn new things, helping teach one another the truth, talking to one another, getting the word out, building local organizing and getting together collectively. That's the best I've got. That's literally the best I got. 
I, I, I wish I could give you more than that. But the fact is, the minute you start putting all your hopes and dreams in electoral politics, they sweep it out from under you because the party platform has to take into consideration the profit margins of all the investor-grade pieces of shit with their freaking crypto this and crypto that and all the other things that go with it. I mean, think about how many of your friends stopped talking about a Green New Deal and are now out there peddling all the information about their investment portfolio. Check out Ethereum, man. You know, hey, man, Dogecoin to the moon, all the other shit. This is what activism has slipped away. This is the kind of neo-maxi losers and dweeby shit that has been taken over instead of activism we're now becoming investors. This is what happened to the deadheads too. Man, oh man, I wish I'd have been alive back then with the knowledge I have now. I would have kept that Grateful Dead movement away from neoliberalism. But see, alas, they get you because your 401k plan. So now you gotta worry about the market. I understand. I mean, my mom lives off the market. That's her, her stocks came from her retirement from Ma Bell. People inherit money. They got it. This is it. This is their life. It's not up to one person to do anything. For those people that have, I salute you. My issue is I'm trying to make sure everybody survives. I don't want people dying. So if I'm saying anything that bothers you or gets under your skin, you know, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not sorry because I want to live and I want you to live. And I'm willing to break a few eggs to make an omelet. I'm willing to be harsh if needed. I'm willing to say things that piss off people in my own quote-unquote sphere if it makes them behave differently, if it makes them take action. You know, reading that Michael Parenti book that I was talking to you about earlier, you know, Black Shirts and Reds, you learn the extreme levels that the United States government has gone throughout the world to demonize anything that's public purpose, to demonize the entire public sector of every country. The United States has been in a culture war against socialism since before the end of World War II. We have been in the business of clearing markets forever. So this problem, we could talk about it being a global North problem, but I think it's a U.S. problem. I think the U.S. is the quarterback of this shitty neoliberal team. And until we take action, we have enjoyed the opulence, even for those of us who are poor, we've enjoyed the opulence of the United States culture compared to the rest of the world. We have got to take this juggernaut down and we've got to change the narrative. And we don't have guns. We're not talking violence because we would get slaughtered instantly. This is not an and a call to violence in any way, shape, or form. This is 100% a call to evaluating timelines, 
evaluating good programs and structures and direct action that we can take collectively. So I'm hoping, hoping that you all, not me, us, remember that, not me, us. That's how we all got to know each other, right? At some level, we were all part of the Bernie movement at some level. Not me, us. What didn't work out with Bernie? Bernie didn't do what we wanted him to do. So it's up to us, we the people, to not get caught up in sidebar issues like masking. Get a fucking life. The environment burns up while you're spending countless hours yelling at other parents at your school system about their desire to protect their children and wearing a mask. Get the fuck over yourself. This is about the environment, literally, that's going to bring death to way more than that mask inconvenience did. So fight the right fight. And learn that we are not after regular people that have a savings account or a 401k or stocks. We are going after the big moneyed interest that prevents us from surviving. And that, my friends, is a story. Now, I know I'm no Luke Parcher. I'm about double his age, probably double his weight, too. Missing quite a bit of the black hair. I think I've gone fully gray now in my beard. Somewhat. And my son's coming in to say hello to me. Isn't that kind of them? <laughs> but in any event, I hope you all enjoyed this. It wasn't really for enjoyment. It really is for movement building. Um, I hope you all find the information I'm presenting to be valuable. If you do, please like this video, please share this video, and please subscribe to the channel. Please help us get more out there because my goal, I, I've, I'm the accidental podcaster. I never wanted to do this. This was never my goal. But I feel like I would be the most irresponsible son of a bitch to stop. So I'm hoping that there's value. And if there's value, if it's worth doing, I'm asking you to help me grow this channel. We've got a little over 13,000 and we've got 130,000 stranded people on Facebook, Facebook that won't let us get to our audience. We did not take YouTube as seriously as we should have, and we're paying a heavy price for it. 130,000 subscribers on Facebook that we can't get to because they fucking algorithms have killed it. But over here, we got 13,000. Let's get it to 15,000, folks. And we got a couple hundred do monthly donors. We need to get more monthly donors, not because we're greedy bastards, but because we need the funds to be able to take the type of direct action that we're hoping to be able to do, to be able to teach more, to be able to build the types of things we need to help enable this. I wish it were free. I do everything I can for free. I give 100 hours a week of my own time to this. So I'm hoping somewhere in the middle there, you guys see the value and can contribute whatever it is, a dollar, $5, $10. And for those who have more, $100, whatever, we need it. We've got lots of volunteers and lots of stuff that we want to do. Lots of bridge building, lots of hopeful education, because it's going to require an educated group of activists to be able to kind of do the things that we want to do. So with that, I am Steve Grumbine with The Rogue Scholar. 
and I'm hoping you guys enjoyed it like I said. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.